This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Send me Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, my friends, it's Mike Janung. Welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Glad to have you along. So let's picture, let's say you're a business owner and you own a company. Let's just say it has a thousand employees. And let's say that you found out that you were losing 75% of all your new customers. For whatever reason, they're, they're walking out the back door. And middle management has been hiding this from you. They haven't been discussing it because they don't want to get in trouble. What are you going to do when you discover this? Well, I think most business leaders, and I've been in the business world, are going to, first off, they're going to be in shock, and then they're going to they're slam their fists on the table and say, okay, we're going to drill down into what's going on here. There are probably going to be some people who are going to get fired and then we're going to make some significant changes, and we're going to make them quickly. And let's say when he's doing this due diligence process, the, the owner discovers that 70% of your workforce, their productivity is down by half. And you're finding all these things, and you're like, what is going on here? Where, why isn't anybody telling me this? And why aren't we taking action here? Why aren't we just, why are we just sitting by the wayside and... So then you go about and you drill down. You find out what the problem is. You find out where customs, customer service has been making mistakes and shipping products out the wrong way or whatever the problem is. You find out where the weak links are, the people who really don't want to be there. And you say, hey, um, this isn't working out. Sorry, we're going to have to let you go. You hire new employees. You get a new plan involved. And then you execute it. You execute it immediately. So let's let's shift the stage a little bit and look at some numbers of where the modern church is today. In the 1990s, I was going. I went to a Focus on the Family event in Colorado Springs, and they stunned me when they provided a number. They said 75 percent of youth are walking away from the church by their early 20s. I couldn't that that was just boggling my mind. I just couldn't believe it. This was in the nineteen maybe around nineteen ninety six. What what is going on that so that you you know, youth are leaving the church? And I had never heard this before. This was never ever discussed from the pulpit. But this really hit me hard and then today I'm a father of four and it it hits me even harder because the idea of there'd be a three and four chance that my kids were going to walk away from the church. 
I mean, this has eternal consequences here and never return. That that just tears me up. So there's there's that alone is a big deal. And that's what I was leading up to. And I was saying, what would you do if 75% of your customers, if you owned a business, were walking away? You would be freaking out. And that's and this is this is even more important than just making money. This is people' eternal lives at stake. And then let's go down the list a little bit of some other surveys and numbers. Today, the numbers are showing that around seventy percent of men are viewing pornography, and a third of women. I've talked about this quite a bit on this broadcast, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one today. Pastors, the numbers show that somewhere between 40 and 50% of pastors are struggling with pornography. This is a moral crisis big time. And then going down a little bit, one survey showed, this came from George Barna, showed that only 30% of Christian, 37% of Christian pastors have a biblical worldview and, they, and preach it to their congregation. The American Bible Society, in their yearly State of the Bible report in 2022, showed that before the pandemic, 14% of Americans read the Bible daily. Now only 10% do. So pastors, 10% of your congregation, according to the survey, is reading their Bible once a day. I'm a jerk if I can't spend time with the Lord. (laughs) Once a day. I got to have that time. Plus, there's just too much warfare in what we're doing here with this ministry being on the front lines. And there's so many lies out there. We just It's so critical to be soaking ourselves in God's word every day. So how, what are we missing here? And then the Pew Research Center found that the roughly one-third of regular churchgoers have not gone back to church since the pandemic, some have stuck to online only, while others have stopped going completely. When you're doing online church, you're basically watching a show. It's just another entertainment option. I don't care what you say. There is no connection. There's no meeting with people. You're just watching TV or watching your PC or your phone or whatever it is. So you, you've already had a, a third walk out the back door in the last two years. So it's something... Again, something is seriously wrong. Gallup found that that the average person's trust and confidence in their religion has decreased dra- drastically over the past two decades. In 2001, 60% reported feeling confident in their religion or the church they go to. In 2021, that number dropped to th- of the public saying they had confidence in their religion. You go from more than half to to a little more than a third. And then 35% of Americans believe religion causes more harm than good. This is devastating. Research in millennials, Berna, again, show that three out of four believe all religions are of equal value. 56% reject the existence of absolute truth. So you can basically throw the Bible out the window. It's just a book to these people. 4% of millennials hold to a biblical worldview regarding God. 
life and morality, and only one in four millennials believe they can trust Christian pastors. That's a serious crisis of confidence. A high percentage identify themselves as don'ts, meaning they don't know or even care if God exists. And then let's talk about money for a moment. One survey showed just like a month or two ago that 5% of churchgoers tithe. A tithe is when you give 10% of your earnings. Um, And then the rest who don't tithe but they give whatever amount they want to give, they give an average of $17 per week. And we've been seeing news articles going on ever since covid that churches are closing their doors or they're merging or they're having to rent out their building space. I've talked to other pastors who have told me that 20% of their congregation give 100% of their of their finances for their church. 20%. And this this survey showed 5%. Is that like, what happened here? Because when when you're in love with God and you've been filled with his love and his grace, you want to give back. This is something that comes from the heart. It's not a head thing. It's not a, well, this is a you should. It's I want to. Somewhere along the line, we miss people's hearts. And so somewhere along the line, they're just showing up to church as another entertainment option. We were missing their hearts. Let's talk about isolation for a moment. Last year, I led a pastor's conference, and it was an all-day conference in Southern California, and I asked the pastors to raise their hands that they met with another believer once a week for the purpose of support, prayer, and encouragement. And out of that group, I think there were around 70 there, maybe, maybe six, maybe seven put their hands up. So 90% were isolated, and this is what we see across the board. Most people who come to us for help, the very first words out of their mouth is, I have no one to talk to, and and that is a tragedy. What did the early church focus on? They focused on three things. Acts 2.42, they focused on the apostles' teaching, prayer and fellowship. There were no isolated believers in the early church. They were a group and they were a community. We've lost that. I don't want to say completely that's overstating it, but 90%, that's a big chunk. And a part of the problem is we have performance-driven church services where we all go, we sit, we watch, we listen, we go home, and we're done. That's it. And there's no connection There's no connection with other believers, and we need that desperately, especially during these times when everything is so dark. When COVID came along in the spring of 2020, basically the church kind of crumbled. People didn't know what to do with themselves, and they didn't know how to deal with being alone. And part of that problem was they had nobody else to support them. And yeah, you can say, okay, yeah, some people were home with their families, but Um, not everybody has a good enough relationship with family members where they can share their deepest, darkest struggles. We need people outside of our marriage and family we can share with. This is critical, and we're missing the boat here. The occult. Let's talk about the occult. 20 years ago, there were reported, estimated 8,000 witches in the United States. 
Today, there is an estimated 1.5 million, and that number is climbing. The, the occult has exploded in the U.S. And when is the last time you went to a church and had heard that mentioned, and, or even spiritual warfare mentioned, let alone the occult? But the problem is there are a lot of people, including youth, who are getting sucked into this, and I'm talking Christian youth too, and they have no idea that this is a problem. I've had people on our radio shows. One is the next witch. And she said the Harry Potter movies are basically an open-door movie to get people interested in witchcraft. Greg Reed, who's involved, who was involved with the occult and now trains people in spiritual warfare, said that there are real-life satanic rituals in those Harry Potter movies. This is a big, big mistake in not equipping people in this area. My daughter and I were at a Barnes & Noble Last year, Barnes & Noble now has an end cap stuffed with books on how to cast spells and read tarots and, and witchcraft and all that. And my daughter overheard a teenage girl arguing with her mom saying, Mom, I want to buy that book on how to cast spells. And the mom was yelling at her saying, No, we're not going to buy that. And my 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 daughters tell me who are 20 and 18 that they see ads for the occult all the time, occult products. If you look on Facebook or social media, you see people who are professing Christians and they're watching horror movies or they're listening to rock music that have occult undertones in it. Devil worshiping, satanic, sometimes rituals in them. When I say rituals, I mean people that are celebrating the satanic side, like an Ozzy Osbourne or somebody like that or a Marilyn Manson or somebody like that. Why is it we're not talking about and equipping people in these areas and saying you must not go into these, these areas? So all these, all these issues I just brought up, I want you to picture being in a Sunday morning service and having them read before you, all of them, being isolated, 75% of youth leaving the church, 70% of men viewing porn, 10% of Christians reading their Bible daily, trust in pastors at an all-time low, millennials were losing them like crazy, three out of four believe all religions are of equal value, the occult Put it all together, and, and what should this do? This should cause us to be broken hearted. This should cause us to say, God, we're not doing church right. Some of you know who Amy Carmichael is. She was a missionary in India from the late 1800s to around 1950, and she wrote a book in 1900. And I'm going to read that book and the book was Things As They Are. And this is from Amy. She writes, I have told you how much we need your help for the work among the unsaved. But often we feel we need it almost as much for the work among the Christians. Over and over again it is told, but still it is hardly understood that Christians need to be converted, that the vast majority are not converted that statistics may mislead and do not stand for eternity work, that many a pastor, catechist, and teacher has a name to live but is dead, that the church is very dead as a whole, 
Thank God for every exception. We do not say this thoughtlessly. The words are grief to write. It is true that the corpse of the dead church is dressed just as it is at home. She's writing this from India. Only here it is even more dressed. And because the spirit of the land is intensely religious, its gray clothes are vestments, but dressed death is still death. So we tell you the truth about things as they are, though we know it will not be acceptable, for the best is the best thing that is best liked at home. So the best is most frequently written about. People will read what is buoyant and bright. The more of that sort we have, the better, wrote a mission secretary out in the field not long ago. So what happened was Amy Amy Carmichael wrote this book, Things As They Are, submitted it to England. They actually requested that she write a book of her stories, and ninety more than 90% of the stories in that book, if you read it, are, are negative. What I mean is of lives being lost and destroyed that she's trying to, to bring to Christ. So they were saying, basically, this is not positive and encouraging. This is bad news. We do not want it. We want you to send us a book that shows the happy and the good stories. And this is a big this is exactly what has happened today where we want to keep everything light and fluffy. We don't want to f- face the fact that we we're losing this battle and when you have 75% of youth walking out the back door, we're losing it big time, not even to mention everything else I brought up. I'm going to read from Francis Chan from his book Letters to the Church where he says, "Years ago I was in China." and visited an underground church where I asked them about their persecution. Each person who stood up started sharing stories about persecution he or she had endured. Sometimes they had to hide in the walls because the government officials were coming. Some had to run from gunshots. I wish you could hear the way they were sharing. Everyone was laughing like it was a party. It sounded completely insane to me hearing them laugh at being shot at. But it didn't faze them because they expected it. In their prayers, this is the Chinese home church, underground church, in their prayers, they were screaming out to God to take them to the most dangerous places. I want to suffer for you. I don't want to go to a safe place. I don't. Please. I want to be counted worthy to die in your name. That's the way these Chinese brothers and sisters prayed. If you have a group like that, how are you going to stop them? That's the way the church is supposed to be, an unstoppable force, ready to take a hit and ready to go back into battle. I remember later speaking to a man who leads a whole network of churches in China. He told me about how there was a period when there was a little more religious freedom, a little less persecution. So this pastor decided to test the waters and build a church above ground just to see how well it would go. His church immediately grew to a couple thousand people. Then the government went in and sure enough, shut it down and hauled him and the other pastors away. In hindsight, he told me he was grateful because it brought them back to their DNA He told me they had started to lose it with the change of structure. By having a large service, people began coming just to listen to a sermon. 
once they grew accustomed to merely sitting and listening, he had a hard time stirring the people to action. This is exactly what the American church looks like. We go and we sit and we listen. We watch the whole thing be destroyed and we're not facing and confronting our sin and facing and confronting the fact that we are not who we think we are. We are broken and desperate needed to cry out to God. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's what our churches need to be doing right now. Silence the worship band for a little bit. Devoted to teaching. Devoted to fellowship. Devoted to breaking of bread and prayer. We're not devoted to prayer. Most churches don't even have a prayer meeting. We've been here for two years and I look at the website of a lot of churches and a lot of them don't have one. And I'll ask you, my friends, when is the last time you attended a prayer meeting? If you read the book of Acts, they began the early church with seven days straight of prayer meetings. And then all through the book of Acts, they were meeting for prayer. That's the way the church is supposed to look. Do you know what devoted to fellowship would change overnight? If you built your church around prayer and fellowship and teaching, what would happen was if you had people share their struggles and pray for each other every time you meet for church on a Sunday morning, nobody walks out isolated. And a lot of people will be sharing their struggles and getting help and getting comfort and being encouraged. But we don't do this in American the amount of American church service. We go, we sit, we leave. This is why we are losing it. We've got to change this. I'm going to read to you now from Jonah chapter 3. And, and what happened was, of course, Jonah, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and Joe said, nope, not going. He ended up going on a ship, going out to sea, big storm. They tossed Jonah overboard He ends up being swallowed by a big fish or whale and puked up on dry land in front of Nineveh and God tells Jonah the second time, get over there and tell them they got 40 days. And then I'll pick it up. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city, three days' journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He's not saying God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. This guy hates these people. He wants them to be destroyed. That's it. He's just saying, You're done. It's over with for you. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, the king. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man, beast, herd, flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out to God, mightily let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence in his hands who knows god may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish and when god saw what they did how they turned from their evil way god relented of the disaster and he did not do it 
think about the people of Nineveh. They had no big church buildings. They had no pastors, no church meetings, no Bibles, no YouTube videos, no conferences, no books, no nothing. It was a city full of unbelievers who wanted nothing to do with the Jews. And all they focused on were two things, crying out to God mildly in prayer and confessing their sin. My friends, if we really believe the Bible let that we preach, then why isn't this enough? Why isn't it changing our Sunday service for a while to a time of confession of sin and crying out to God? Why, why won't we do that? And I think one reason is it's just arrogance. We're just too sophisticated. Um, we modern Christians, you know, we know too much. And so we can continue to go along as we have been and watch lives be destroyed. Or we have the answers if we're willing to change our liturgy and the way we do church. I believe completely that if we go this way and become churches devoted to prayer, fellowship, and teaching on our Sunday morning services, you would see magnificent changes. So thank you for joining me. I hope you'll take these to heart, and we'll see you next time. Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.